I've been doing a lot of praying lately uh, about who to hire to be an associate pastor, about different things in my personal life. Uh, my father-in-law has come to live with us. Uh, his health is uh, challenged a little bit. And so we've been doing a lot of praying. We've been asking God a lot of things. And sometimes when I pray, I don't know if you're like me, but when I pray, sometimes I struggle to know what to pray or what's appropriate to pray. Um, I, I, I sometimes try to like get inside God's head a little bit and think like, well, if I pray this way, will he answer this way? You know, I know that's not right, but I'm just saying, like, as a human, I, I'm trying to figure out this thing called prayer. And even though I've been a believer for a very, very, very long time, I'm still figuring it out day by day. So prayer sometimes is a struggle for me. Not always, but sometimes. And there's times when Prayer flows seamlessly from my life, from my thoughts, from my words. It, it, it's, it's easy, and there's other times when it's difficult. I don't feel like I'm connecting with God. I feel like I'm, I'm off, like he's, he's here and I'm there, and I'm trying to figure out why does it feel like I'm talking to the ceiling today? And yesterday, I didn't quite feel that way. Does anyone else feel that? You're kind of, it, it, it's, it's challenging. It's, it's not easy. And when I feel like I'm talking to the ceiling, I easily lose interest in the conversation, right? It's like you hear the phrase, talking to a wall, right? You just, nothing's coming back. Nothing seems to be changing. And so then I begin, my mind begins to wander. I begin to lose interest. I start to think about what am I going to have for supper? Or is it going to be ice cream for dessert? You know, just different things that have nothing to do with my prayers. But when I feel like I'm talking to the ceiling, it gets boring. Any, any of you identify with that? So today, I want us to realize that the way that we view God actually determines the way that we relate to him when we pray. Because prayer is a relationship. And our view of God, how we think of God, who we think he really is, affects how I feel about prayer. Whether I feel that my prayer is effective or not. Whether I feel like it's changing me and, and, and changing the things that concern me. Because I found out that I relate to strangers very differently than I relate to my family. That's probably true of you as well. When you meet a stranger, you're, you're a little more formal. You're a little more reserved. You're a little more distant in your relationship with that person because you just met them. You're not sure you can trust them. But with my family, because we've grown up together, there's a familiarity and the communication just flows. Sometimes it flows in the wrong direction, but it still just flows. It comes back and forth, and it's a conversation, and, and I know them, and I know what makes them laugh, and I know that makes, what makes them upset sometimes. You know, I, I, I understand them. I can tell from their facial expression or their body posture exactly what they're thinking sometimes because we're that familiar as family. And I believe that this also holds true with God. The way that we relate to God and approach God and experience God in our prayer life is inseparably tied to who we believe God to be. And that is tied to how well 
we really know him. If he's a stranger to us, our prayers are difficult, more than they should be. They're they're a struggle to connect. So when we pray, the question that I want you to ask is, when you pray, what are you viewing God as? I think sometimes when we approach God, it's as if he is a strict boss. Like, like a, you've had a strict boss before in the workplace, and, and when he comes around, you kind of get stiff. You want to make sure you're doing your job right, and you want to make sure that you're pleasing him, and you don't want to be like, you know, talking on your phone or, 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 or doing something you shouldn't be doing at work. You really straighten up when the boss is around, right? You're not yourself so much. See... Sometimes we view God as some distant deity, far off in the distance. And because he is so far away, he must be concerned about many other things between here and there. So my things seem very insignificant when I approach God as a distant deity. So when you close your eyes, if you do close your eyes when you pray... Let's try it right now. Let's, let's close our eyes and, and, and imagine God's face. Now, we've never seen his face, but he's made us in his image, so he has a face. And in his word, he says, seek my face. So, so when we close our eyes and we're trying to pray and we seek his face, does his face look angry? Does he seem disappointed? Does he appear to be distracted? Is he doing something more important? Is his back turned? Is he sideways? Or is he looking intently back at you? How do we imagine God? You see, there's lots of different views. You can open your eyes now if you like. Don't fall asleep. There's all all kinds of different views of, of how God might be looking at us, but I think most of them fall tragically short of what the Bible actually says about him. They're based more on our experience with with authority figures or with people in our life. And for those here who, like me, struggle with prayer sometimes, maybe this is the key reason that we struggle. We're not seeing God for who he really is. Maybe the way that we're viewing him and the fundamental assumptions that you're making about him just aren't all that biblical or true. And that's throwing everything off when you try to pray. So, question is, what mentality should we have when we approach God in prayer? How should we relate to him? How should we view him when we try to connect with him? Well, fortunately for us, and thankfully, we don't have to wonder about that. We don't have to have a brainstorming session and come up with ideas because we have God's word. Amen? So open God's word, whatever form you have God's word in. If you don't have one, there's one there in the pew. And let's look back at the Sermon on the Mount, because in the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been looking at all summer, Jesus talks about prayer. 
a few times. And he's just not, you know, wasting his time. He knows how important it is that we understand how to relate to God through prayer. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus clearly tells us how to approach God. If you look at chapter 6 of the book of Matthew, in verse 5, are you there? I want you to see it and hear it at the same time. That helps your brain to, to get it double time. It says in, in, in our, our Bible here, it says, Whenever you pray, so it's assumed you will pray, <laughs> Whenever you pray, you must not be like hypocrites. The hypocrites. Down a little further, it says, when you pray, in verse 7, don't just babble like the Gentiles. Don't be like them. So Jesus starts out pointing out some things not to do. This is actually a good teaching teaching style, right, is, is to say, okay, here's some things that, that you're doing wrong, and here's how we're going to show you how to do it right. So by the time he gets to verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, therefore, you should pray like this, it says. So he says, don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this, but here's how you should do it. And what he says is, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name is honored as holy or sacred. There's no other name. There's no other God like our God. And so Jesus tells us when we approach God, don't approach him like he's some distant deity who doesn't care about you, but approach him as our Father. Our Father. The Bible reveals that He isn't just any Father, but He's the ideal Father. The Father who loves you perfectly, who cares for you immensely, who accepts you completely, even with all your warts. He's sympathetic to you in the midst of your struggles. He understands the way that you've been tempted. He understands the suffering you've gone through because He came and lived here and went through it as well. And since none of us, none of us had a perfect father, and if you think that you had a perfect father, you've made him into some kind of idol because he had flaws as well. So none of you, none of us had a perfect earthly father. So in this case of coming to God as our father, we have to walk in faith, believing that God is perfect, that God is right, that God is loving, that God is forgiving. All the things that he reveals about himself, we have to believe those things because our experience with earthly fathers, good and bad, is flawed. You cannot go based on that experience, as good as it may have been or as bad as it may have been. It will distort your view of what God is really like. And God in his grace has given us his word and revealed over and over and over again his character, his, his personality, his way of dealing with sinners like us. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. He's a forgiving God. 
So the Bible reveals that he's not a father like any other father. We don't know what a perfect father is, but we can read in his word and we can see even in his relationship with Jesus the type of approach he takes to his children. A couple of times in Jesus' ministry, the Father spoke from heaven. Jesus was here on earth, and it says there was a, there was a voice from heaven at his baptism, for instance. The voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God speaks blessing on his son, Jesus. He's pleased with his son, Jesus. Now, remember, this is at Jesus' baptism, and he hasn't even started his ministry yet. So he hasn't jumped through hoops. He hasn't done a bunch of things. He's lived his life in such a way that he has chosen to follow holiness, and he has not sinned in any way. But, but he hasn't done miracles. He hasn't preached the Sermon on the Mount. He hasn't died on the cross. But God looks at him and says, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I think our hearts yearn for that type of blessing from God. And I think God's word reveals that we do have that type of blessing from God. We have to believe by faith that God loves us. And that he's pleased with us. He's not pleased with everything we do. But he's pleased with us when we put our faith in Christ, when we come to him in the name of Jesus, not on our own merit, not on anything we've done, but we come to him through Christ. We receive that blessing that is on Christ. You are my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased because you put your faith in Jesus. You don't trust in your own works. You don't trust in your own righteousness. You know that your righteousness is like filthy rags to me. And so you've come in the name of Jesus. You have put your faith in what Jesus has done for you. And now you are my dearly loved children in whom I'm well pleased. Now that's hard for us. We know our failures. We know our flaws. We know our thoughts our sins of omission and commission. We know it all. And we know that God knows it all as well. But God, who is rich in mercy, has decided to evaluate you, not based on you, but to evaluate you simply on your faith in Christ. If you have put your trust in Jesus, if you have called him to be your Savior and your God, God evaluates you based on that. Not on your works, but on your faith in Jesus. So it's important for us as we approach this, this area of prayer, which is a big area of our lives. Because scripture says you should pray without ceasing. You should live a life of prayer. So your connectedness, your relationship with God should be constant. It's not a five-minute thing in the morning and a five-minute thing at night. And maybe before you eat that fatty food you're about to eat. It's not that. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship with God, a deepening and developing relationship with God as our Father. You see, if we get it right, we will be praying very differently than those who are not believers. 
because we know God. We know what he has revealed to us. We have experienced him by faith in Jesus. You see, there are people in the world that pray. In fact, all kinds of people pray. Christian and non-Christian people pray. People of other religions, people of cults, people of the occult, they all pray. You ever seen these like crazy rock and roll groups? And I mean crazy, like not godly rock and roll, but just a crazy rock and roll, people that bite heads off bats and stuff like that, that kind of crazy. And before their concert, it'll show them in the back of the stage, they'll all gather and hold hands and pray. Who are they praying to? But they're praying. They, they have something inside of them that wants to connect with something outside of them. It's, it's a human thing. It's something that God created us to yearn for, a connection with something bigger than ourselves. So all kinds of people pray. And all kinds of people pray some crazy, all kinds of prayers. Not biblical prayers, not godly prayers, just whatever they want. We're going to look at God's word here because I want you to understand what Jesus is saying is that we should pray differently than that. Jesus has said already in verse 5 of Matthew 6, we need to pray differently. When you pray, don't pray like hypocrites. Why? That scripture goes on to say, because they love to be seen praying. They love to stand on the street corner and look holy and righteous and use fancy words and, and look better than everyone else because they're praying. Oh. Right? They want to be seen as holy. He actually says the opposite. He says, you know what? When you pray, go hide in a closet and pray. It's between you and God. It's not between you and how people are viewing you. It's between you and God. So whenever you pray, it's between you and God. It's a personal thing. It's a relational thing. Do it in secret between you and God. Then it says, he'll see you when you pray in secret, and he'll reward you as well. God, God has a, a, an economy there that goes deep in our prayer life. Verse 7 is the other verse. says, when you pray, don't pray like Gentiles. People who don't know God. See, at this point in the New Testament, the word Gentiles meant everybody else. There's God's people, the Jewish people, because we're early in the New Testament. The gospel has not gone forth like we just went through the book of Acts and we saw how the gospel kept spreading to all the Gentile nations so they could hear about Jesus. And now they are believers as well. This is before that. And so in their mindset, the only people that God would listen to is Jewish people the people of God, God's very own people. And so he says in verse 7, when you pray, don't pray like Gentiles, people who don't know God. Because, and, and I love this, they imagine that, they've heard, that they will be heard. They imagine it. And they imagine that the more they pray, the more they'll be heard. And so that's why some references say, you know, by repeating, 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 repeating. And others say by babbling on and on and on. Now we know, again, from studying God's word in the book of Acts, the Gentile nations, they had gods and goddesses. They had uh, temples and they had rituals and they had the occult and they had spells and they had things they hung around their neck as good charms and they had all this stuff so they're imagining that there's power in all of that and that 
if they just please those gods, their prayers would be answered. They had certain magical words that they used. And what he's saying is, it's all in their heads. It's their imagination. They're not praying to God, the God of the universe. As Jesus alludes here, the prayers of the pagans, or pagan world, were characterized by mindless repetition of various magical incantations. If they say the right words in the right way, if they bring the right offering, their prayers will be answered. Now, we need to watch out for that. I've been a Christian a little while. I've heard all kinds of variations on this. Do any of you remember that prayer of Jabez? Right? That was a little ritualistic. Like, if you do it like this, if you pray like Jabez, back in the Old Testament, you'll get your prayers answered. Do any of you remember there was a, there was a group of people who were claiming that, you know, every illness can be healed, but you have to say these certain things and maybe write them on a card and keep that card in your pocket so that you can pull it out and you can read those things to yourself again and again and again. And that's where your healing will come from if you're faithful to your card and what is written on your card. Now, these are good and godly people who are seeking God. I'm not judging anyone. I'm just saying I've heard all kinds of variations about how to get your prayers answered in the Christian church. You don't have to go back too far to the rosary, the Hail Marys. You don't, it, it, it's, we are trying to connect. We are trying to find a way to connect. And Jesus here is teaching us, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not a mechanical thing that if you put five cents into the machine, you get a gumball. Right? But I think in our simplicity, as, as, as simple people, what I mean by that is dumb, but simple people is that we think if I do this, I'll get that. I can make a formula out of prayer. And I'm going to tell you, even the Lord's Prayer is not a formula for success in prayer. Some of you wonder, why don't we say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday? That would be the right thing to do. That's a religious thing to do. It might be right on some Sundays, but if we make it into a ritual, it's not the right thing to do. It's a tradition. So Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, but it's not the only prayer we ever pray. We have to have a relationship with God that's so alive and so active that it's like a conversation that takes place between a child and their father, their loving father. So instead, Jesus informs us that we don't have to go through these rituals. We don't have to stand on a street corner and let everybody see us pray. We don't have to go through rituals and have magical words and magical ways of doing things and formulas. Instead, he says, God's a father. And God's a father who knows what we need. So he reveals something to us. You don't have to tell God anything. He already knows. He already knows. He's all knowledgeable. It's part of his character. So sometimes, you know, I'm, no offense, because I've done all these things as well. But sometimes you go and you pray with people, and they're like, okay, you know, let's, let's spend some time to go around for prayer requests. So we go around with prayer requests. And everybody explains to each other what the need is. That's wonderful, and that's how we share one another's burdens. But then 
we say, okay, so let's pray now. The exact same things are being said in the exact same way as if God didn't know. So God, you know that my aunt, she fell. She needs some help. You know that the ankle is twisted. You know that it's on and on and on and on, sort of informing God about the situation that God already knows. And if that's your thing, okay, that's your thing. I'm not criticizing you. It's just, it's not necessary. God already knows. Better to approach him and say, God, you are awesome and you know all things. And so because you know all things, I'm just going to lift up my aunt to you. Bless her, pour out your healing on her, help her to, to be healed and to walk again. She can she could do that if you touch her, Lord. Will you touch her? Will you touch her and heal her today? That's my request, God. Thank you for being a God who hears my requests. Thank you for God who answers every prayer exactly as it should be answered. Not exactly as I think you should, when you do, but as you know, because you know all things. Exactly as you. Because a father knows his child. Any of you fathers out there? Mothers as well. I won't, I won't discriminate. Parents know their children. They know what they like and they know what they don't like. They know what they need and they know what they don't need. Right? It's part of being a parent. I mean, after all, you brought this thing up from when it was a tiny little crawly squirmy thing. Right? You've learned, you know, he doesn't like tuna fish. Don't try to give him tuna fish. He don't like it. Right? You've learned all kinds of things about your child. God knows all kinds of things about you too. And God's desire is to bless you and to bring you into his perfect will for your life. I'm going to say that again. Bring you into his perfect will for your life. Not your perfect will for your life. Those two don't always mesh, right? It's hard for us, but, but it's the truth. God knows best. God's plan is always best. And so when we come to him, we, we need to acknowledge that's who we're going to. We're going to a God who knows what's best. So God, show us your best. Give us your best. Help us to understand how that works its way out in these circumstances in our lives. You see, God knows what we need, but presumably he also cares about us. He loves us. He's not trying to hurt us. He knows even before we ask him what we need. He's not some pagan God who demands that we mindlessly repeat some kind of formula to earn our way through this thing. Instead, he's a loving father. He loves us, he cares for us, and he already holds our needs in his heart. Even when we mention them, he's already there. We don't have to tell him anything. Look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9 says, Therefore, you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. So again, we're distinguishing him from all other fathers, good or bad. And these two twin truths in, this, in these four words, he's our father and he's in heaven. These are two truths we have to grasp so that when we pray, we understand who it is we're praying to. They balance each other out. Because seeing God as our father conveys him in the warmth and the intimacy 
and the care that a loving father would have, a perfect father would have. But understanding that he's also in heaven reminds us that he's also the all-powerful God of the whole universe and all the universes, since there's several now. He's not some teddy bear with a big heart, sort of like a care bear. Remember the care bear? So, so he's not just loving and just kind and only smushy and warm. That's not God. God is a God of power. God is a God of, of wisdom. God is a God of... of so, so he's not just that, he's this. Now, what, what that means is he's in heaven, right? He's sovereign. He rules over all things. He created all things. All things were created for him. It's amazing that he's also lovingly attentive to our prayers. So he's, he's this powerful, we should tremble before him, God, but at the same time, he's our loving father who wants us to come to him in prayer. So those are two truths that have to be balanced, have to be worked out in our lives. He pays attention to our prayer as a father, as a father in heaven. So he's not too weak. He's, he's all strength. He's not too harsh. He's all loving. So if we know him according to how he reveals himself in scripture, we'll be balanced. If we only know him based on what they say on TikTok or YouTube or whatever, you won't be balanced. I'm sorry, you just won't. Read your Bibles, balance out all the rest of the stuff. Don't let the other stuff take over and you start neglecting your Bibles. We have a privilege to be in relationship with God as the children of God. And it isn't something that we should ever take for granted because if it weren't for what Jesus had done for us on the cross, we wouldn't have a relationship with God at all. He'd never listen to our prayers. Ever. Ever. Doesn't matter how much you beg. Doesn't matter how much you cry. If it weren't for Jesus, Scripture actually says we were enemies of God. Enemies. Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. So when we were enemies, Christ died for us. I need you to get that. Then, how much more, having been reconciled, having been brought to God through Christ, that's what reconciled means. We've been brought back together with our Father. How much more will he will be saved by his life? We will be saved by his life. So he loved us even when we were far from him. The Bible teaches that each one of us has sinned against God. No one has lived a perfect life except for God himself in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.10 actually says, none are righteous, no, not one. However, the good news of the gospel is this. In Christ's love, Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the cross to make atonement, to bring us back into unity with God. He suffered the punishment that we deserved he rescued us from eternal condemnation. 
He was resurrected from the dead three days after he died in order to demonstrate that he has victory over all sin and over death. And I'm just feeling that before we go any further, if you haven't experienced this, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't have a saving relationship with Christ, you might be curious, you might be watching from afar, you might be trying to figure him out, but you haven't actually said, God, through Christ, save me. Redeem me. Bring me back to yourself. I am your enemy, but I want to be your friend. If you haven't had some type of experience where you've experienced the saving of Jesus Christ, the rescuing that he offers, the personal relationship that begins to grow from that moment on as a child of God. If you're not connected with the Father through Jesus Christ, why not? (laughs) Why not? It is the best thing ever offered to mankind. So why would you wait? Why don't you let today be the day that you come to God and say, make me your child. Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. Fill me with your spirit so I may be a child of God. Because the more you grow in him, the more you understand what it means to be a child of God, the more you understand the gift of adoption, that you will be adopted into the family, the more difference it will make in your prayer life. Because now you might be thinking you're praying, and God is yet to forgive any of your sins because you've never come to him through Christ. You come to him just based on whoever you are, Jim or Sally or Joe I got it, Sally. You know, I don't know Sally. Sally was my enemy. Do you understand that? When we come on our own, (laughs) he doesn't know us. He knows us, but he's, he's not our father. We haven't been adopted. We haven't been received in Christ. So if you're here now and that's you, that's you, then listen up because God has good news for you. Through Christ, you can become a child of God. Once you're a child of God, you receive all of the blessings that he has poured out in Christ and through Christ, and you will receive those for eternity. The greatest reward forever. That's what that is. It's by faith. I can't give it to you physically right now. But God will give it to you by faith if you place your faith in Christ. So let's dig just a little bit deeper here. We've already seen that as we approach God, we have to approach him as our father. But what exactly does it mean that God is our father? What does that mean? Our father. What's his attitude towards us specifically as we relate to him in prayer, as we come to him in prayer? Well, Turn the page to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is still talking here. He's still teaching. It's starting in 7, verse 7. Interesting. It's almost too good to be true, but Jesus said it, and so we have to, like, stretch ourselves to believe it. Listen to what Jesus says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door is opened. So who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? None of us like snakes. If you then, you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is revolutionary stuff. This is a whole new level that Jesus is introducing. You have to kind of put yourself back there. The Jews has always approached God through the temple, through their sacrifices, through the shed blood of those many lambs and bulls and doves and everything else that they had to sacrifice and bring before the priests. And then the priests had to do their thing. And then they had to bring that into the Holy of Holies. And then they hoped that God would. It, it, this whole system is now just crumbling with Jesus' words here. Ask. Ask him. And you will receive. Seek. Look. Look for him. And you will find him. Knock. Just knock. The door will be open. What kind of invitation is this? It sounds like a blank check. And that's unfortunately how some prosperity gospel people have taken it. But, but it is revolutionary. Because prior to this, there was no approaching a holy God as a sinful person. Do you remember, do you remember back, you weren't there, but neither was I, back in the Old Testament when they came to Mount Sinai and God came down on the top of the mountain and it says it was like a fire and it was thunder and it was lightning and it was all this stuff at the top of the mountain and the people were at the bottom of the mountain and God gave word to Moses. He said, don't let anyone touch the mountain. If they touch it, they will die. His holiness is so powerful he says, when, when uh, Abraham asked to see God, he said, well, you can't see me because no man can see me and live. His holiness is so like burning and, and intense and whatever. We, we don't know. Until we get there, we don't know. And without the blood of Jesus protecting us, without the blood of Jesus on us, in us, going through our veins because God has now made us his child. Without that, we would die. This is why this is such a radical thing because Jesus is introducing these teachings into the religion and the things that God did set up to keep people alive in their relationship with him. But now he's saying, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. It's awesome. It's awesome to try to grasp this. So in these verses, we find the description of the kind of father that God is. He's a loving father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. So combining what we learned earlier in Matthew 6 with now this in Matthew 7, here's what's becoming clear. Jesus teaches us that to approach God in prayer is like a loving father who delights in giving good gifts to his children. That's the revolutionary part of this. And I think we don't get it. I think we struggle when we pray because we don't get it. We're, 
we feel like we're trying to convince him to be nice, convince him to be loving. But we don't have to. Jesus has done that work for us. The relationship is already established in the blood of Jesus. He's not a distant God who we have to get his attention. He's not reluctant to answer our prayers. He's not annoyed by your constantly asking. In fact, in the Greek, those, those words ask and you shall receive, seek and knock. Those are ask and keep on knock, keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And if you don't believe me, just turn in your Bibles quickly to Luke. In Luke, Jesus tells this crazy story about a crazy lady who wanted something from a judge, someone greater than herself. In Luke, it's, it's on page 930 if you're using the Pew Bible, but in, in, in Luke chapter 18, it says, Now God told them, that, Jesus told them this parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up because we have a tendency to give up. Pray always. In other words, keep praying and don't give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. In other words, he wasn't such a nice guy. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he was unwilling But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps on pastoring me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. And then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night, will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith to ask and believe and receive God's answer for your prayer? We too easily give up. I too easily give up. I am confessing this before you. I too easily give up. I pray for something or someone, and I pray for a while, and I try to be faithful in that prayer. But you know, a lot of other stuff is happening over here too, and so sometimes that slips off the list, and I start praying about something else. You know, I'm a little bit like, you know, squirrel, squirrel. Squirrel. I, I, I can get a little distracted and start praying and forget all about this. And Don't give up. Don't give up. God hears you. And, and Jesus even tells this story to help you to realize God's not like that judge. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. He wants us to ask. He delights in showering the answers, his abundant blessings on us when we ask. So, I'm going to stop here. See how loving a father is, even when the children don't cooperate, even when they don't go according to plans. 
That's just an earthly father. The scripture says, even though you're evil, you still give give good gifts to your children, even though you're evil. Now, we're evil in the fact that we were his enemies and we sin, right? He loves us. He's making us holy in Christ, those who are in Christ. But I think our prayer life would be revolutionized if we just focused on the words that Jesus taught us about prayer and just did it. Just prayed that way and not give up. Accepting whatever the answers are because we know God knows best. God's plan is always best. It's not easy. I'm not trying to make it easy. It's not a formula. It's not a, I, just, I just want to, you to be challenged because I was challenged. I don't want to be in the challenge alone. I like friends to be challenged with me. Let's grow in faith, believing that God is who Jesus says he is. And when we pray, he wants to develop a deeper relationship with us. Do you know why? Do you know why he wants us to pray? Not because he needs to know anything from us. Not because he needs anything from us. He wants a relationship with you. And in order to encourage you in that relationship, to come closer to him, to talk to him, to share with him, he gave us prayer. He gave us his spirit to to help us to pray. If we're not convinced of God's love, we won't approach him. We won't approach him correctly. If we're not convinced of his generosity, if we're not convinced of his, his, the fact that he lavishly pours out his love on us, we won't approach him. We'll stay, we will stay distant. He's not distant, but we will stay distant. And God wants us close to him. Close as children are close to their parents. Healthy relationships. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And I don't want you to sing this song because you heard it a lot of times. Maybe you haven't heard it a lot of times. It's called Good, Good Father. I don't want you just to, you know, put on autopilot. Good, good father, who you are, who you are. It's good, good father. No. I want you to think about the words that you're saying. Maybe you're not saying them. Think about the words that are being sung. He is a good, good father. It is who he is. And you are loved by him. If that wasn't true, the gospel wouldn't be true. You are loved by your perfect heavenly father. And that's who you are. You are loved by him. Don't believe anything that tells you anything else. You are no longer his enemy if you have come to him by faith. I pray you have. You are now his child who he dearly loves and is pleased with through Christ, through what Christ has done. You don't have to make him love you. He already does. While we were his enemies, he died for us. He's a good, good father. Amen? Let's pray and then we'll sing.
Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for revealing yourself to us because we wouldn't have figured it out on our own. Thank you for your word and the truth that it challenges us with. God, we want to we expand our faith and believe it more today. We think you're too small. We think our problems are so big. But you're so big and our problems are really small to you. So God, encourage us to develop our life of prayer the way that you designed it to, that we would draw intimately close to you and you would reveal your plans to us. Thank you for your love and thank you most of all for Jesus who made it all possible through his life and death and resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.